Here at Education on Fire, we're combining some of the wisdom, knowledge and resources we're sharing on the podcast and want to create a book to gift to the children in our lives. To find out more, go to educationonfire.com forward slash book. You can donate, share and make this a reality. That's educationonfire.com forward slash book. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello and welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. I wanted to have a conversation today about exactly what is possible through the pandemic in terms of education and parents and how we can support our children. We know that the system is really struggling in terms of schools being open in some places, schools being closed, a combination of remote learning and face-to-face teaching. It really is a tricky time to know what to do both in terms of being teachers and schools and also as parents. And today I'm going to be chatting to Jen Luminland, and she is the creator and the host of the podcast Your Parenting Mojo. And she was a guest on episode 68. So if you'd like to go back and listen to that, you'll find out much more about exactly what she does on her podcast and and how she can help and support you. But today specifically, we're going to be talking about the relationship of the pandemic in terms of what's going on in the US as well as here in the UK. And most importantly, we're going to be discussing the pandemic pod, explaining a little bit about what that is and how you can utilise whatever version of that is possible for you in your community in terms of supporting your children in their education, whether that's forming clusters of families to educate, whether it involves hiring a tutor, caregiving, maybe in terms of being able to support swapping childcare, whether it's hiring an online tutor or or children being able to have a small cluster of people working together so we really hope that we're going to have some great advice for you in terms of what these pods are from your parenting mojo hi jen welcome back to the education on fire podcast i'm excited to be talking about pandemic pods and i think as we start to go into the winter here in 2020 there's going to be more and more people worrying about how education is going to be in school and out of school so this is going to be a really important conversation so yeah hello again Hello, thanks for having me back. Yeah, I think uh, being in the US, we're maybe going to be able to give you a bit of a taste of the future. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that may well be the case. I mean, I've already been seeing um, people's experiences of schools opening and closing and nearly going back and then not going back. I yeah. mean, we're in a bit of a different situation here in the UK in as much as we were completely closed from March through into September, which is when the autumn term would normally start here. Um, and they've gone back and they're pretty much in bubbles. So they're sort of either in whole year group bubbles or, or, or around key stage bubbles here. And that seems to be working in lots of ways. But I think one of the things that people are starting to realise is, is that they can't send entire bubbles home if someone is po- um, tested positive. So they're then keeping it within people who've had really close contact and all of those things. And I think that seems to be working to some extent, but we're still not in a great position from a testing point of view. So it's that unknown in people having to self-isolate just in case, which is causing a little bit of chaos. And, and certainly from our experience, it seems to be that when the children were remote sort of zoom learning over the summer and um, while it wasn't perfect it was quite stable because you went online you found your work teachers were available on email and stuff at the same sort of time 
but it kind of was what it was and it kind of got into a routine and I think because so many teachers are in school now obviously teaching face to face for those that do have to self-isolate it's a little bit kind of left to one side and so that's a bit of a mishmash and I think that might be a bit of a struggle as we get further and further into the winter but yeah I'll be very interested to hear exactly um, your experiences from being in the US. Mm. Yeah, and and obviously the U.S. is a big place and every state has its own rules about who's going back and when and how and all the rest of it. Um, I'm on my way to New Jersey, actually in COVID quarantine right now <laughs> in a house in rural Pennsylvania. Um, but we're, we're going to visit my in-laws and, and uh, one of my husband's uh, childhood friends is a teacher, a high school teacher, and he is uh, teaching to half the class in person in a classroom behind a, a shower curtain, I think, essentially, um, and and being broadcast on Zoom at the same time to the other half of the class. And so they are doing some kind of half and half uh, schedule where they're switching. Um, where I'm coming from in California, they are basically in, in several of the biggest school districts. They're not planning on going back uh, anytime soon. I mean, I think they're, uh, they're saying that there is a small possibility in some places if certain criteria are met that they could go back. But um, by and large, the picture seems to be that we're going to be learning remotely for the foreseeable future. Um, we definitely went through it in the spring as well. And uh, it was incredibly difficult for a lot of families and also for teachers as well, who I think we have to acknowledge are really caught in the middle here. I mean, teachers know that being in Zoom school for six hours a day is not how a young child learns best. Um, but they, they're sort of caught between state mandates on number of contact hours and the school district's plans and some parents who were saying, you know, I need to work. You've got to keep my kid busy for six hours. And other parents who were saying, my kid can't concentrate for more than 30 minutes at a time. So what do you want me to do <laughs> during six hours? And, and so many different conflicting voices. Um, and so we're seeing a lot of different arrangements play out in, in a lot of different areas. I think the thing that strikes me and, and the more I have these conversations and the more I remember like that spring summer situation and even in the in the in the middle of everything now is the fact that how rigid everything is. You know, it's kind of like, you know, ha what needs to happen in the world before everyone can just let go and say, hang on right. a minute what do I need now and and I think what you explained there is absolutely perfect because it's kind of you know some children have parents that are working some of some of them are working from home some of them have good access to the internet some of them don't um some of them thrive in some situations and not others and it's it's like you know surely there needs to be some kind of thought process that says it needs to be a little bit more individualized Ideally, yes. Um, and <laughs> I hope I wasn't painting too rosy of a picture here because I think there are a lot of parents who, who wouldn't see it in that way. And, and when I say there are a lot of different arrangements going on, it tends to be across school districts. Within a school district, uh, and this isn't universally the case, but it's often you know, within a school district, we're doing it this way. 
and you need to do it this way. You know, we, my, we're actually homeschooling, but my neighbors are involved in their local public school. And they said that if their children are not online by 10 o'clock in the morning participating in their Zoom class, then they get marked uh, tardy. And if you get three tardy marks, then you are going to be, uh, you're going to need to account for truancy. Um, and my neighbors are, uh, you know, they're white presenting and clearly very involved in their child's education. We're in a fairly affluent area. And so this is probably not going to be a big deal, but you're absolutely right that not everybody has a good access to the internet connection, um, to access to equipment. And there are parents who are being taken to court for, uh, for their children's absence in school because they lack the equipment that they need to engage in school in the way that the school district is demanding. So yes, we're seeing some flexibility and the districts that are doing well are, are the ones that have that flexibility that say, you know what, if you your child needs more support, we are here. If your child wants to complete the assignments uh, by themselves with you during the day, whenever it happens, and you just want to send a photograph of it when it's done, that works too. And so those are the parents that I'm seeing that they're like, thank goodness, <laughs> <laughs> this is actually working for us. And and I think the distinction between the age of the children is really important, isn't it? I mean, I I've was very grateful because the, I mean our youngest is um just turned thirteen over the summer so she was twelve in that in that summer mm-hmm. last sort of summer term but because that they're in that sort of secondary system here in the UK they're used to being independent they're used to just getting on and doing the work and plus the fact that a lot of what they do is actually beyond me already so <laughs> I wouldn't have been that much help <laughs> to begin with but but they're kind of self-sufficient which you know there was a lot of organizing in terms of timetabling and scheduling in terms of just you know our computer access and where you were going to be in the house and all of that kind of stuff but once we kind of got that together it kind of ran relatively smoothly um but I can imagine if your children are younger in um, in sort of um, that sort of kindergarten up through K to sort of seven or eight, I would imagine, and certainly here in primary school, then that's a very different way of being. Yeah. And those are primarily the parents that I work with. I tend to work with uh, parents who are in the preschool, kindergarten, uh, elementary school, pr- primary school years. And, uh, you know, they're trying to figure out, okay, so, I mean, I mean, I'm hearing reports of a, a child who needs to be held on the parent's lap to be able to focus for Zoom kindergarten, as it were. Um, I've seen pictures of kids asleep um, there was one that I saw where the kid had the headphones on. He's sitting in front of a laptop. He's visibly asleep. And the, the, the picture is being shot from the side. And, and so to his, the child's other side is a schedule that has him back to back for in classes from eight to two thirty with an hour off for lunch. I mean, I couldn't do that as an adult mm-hmm. <laughs> with a fully developed prefrontal cortex and the ability to postpone needs that I have related to food and the bathroom and that kind of thing. Um, how we're expecting young children to be able to focus in that way for that period of time I mean it's it's kind of mind-boggling and take us through your understanding of you know of zoom school you know and like you say (laughs) they wanted to interact they wanted it to still be school in whatever way it could but Mm -hmm. I mean there seems to be you know probably more negative connotations than positive ones in terms of that interaction even 
There can be, um, because Zoom is very hard for us to use for a number of reasons. So when when you're looking at somebody else on a Zoom call, uh, particularly when you're looking at a sea of 25 faces and, and one of them is the teacher, firstly, you need to focus on, okay, which one's the teacher? That picture, unless you're, you take it out of gallery view and onto speaker view, is going to be very tiny. It's hard to see any kind of expression at all, never mind micro expression. So we turn off the gallery, we put it on speaker view. We have to be continually focused on that person to be able to understand the micro expressions that they're using that our brains rely on to be able to process the information this person is sending to us and so that's much easier for us to do in person we have to, it takes a lot more uh, capacity and energy to do that through uh, an online platform and so when we're uh, being asked to do this for many many hours a day that's very difficult some children find it really hard to not focus on themselves they spend the whole time watching the, their own picture on the call. <laughs> so there's a setting where you can turn that off if you need to. Um, in a classroom environment, the teacher can kind of get a sense for whether the the class is getting it. Like, is this idea landing or do we need to go through it again and I need, I need to explain it in a different way? On Zoom, you're, everybody just kind of stares at the teacher blankly and the teacher doesn't really know if anybody understands it. So, you know, we have to do polling and that kind of thing. Well, can the child work the buttons? Can they take themselves off mute? by themselves can can they respond to a poll um and so there's all these issues that kind of mount up on top of each other that make it an incredibly difficult difficult experience even on top of the the regular school uh issues like the fact that you know if we, if we think about self-determination theory we all have this need for competence and autonomy and connectedness and and school doesn't really give us the opportunity to choose what we want to do there's there's no choice basically because it's chosen for us so, doubly so with zoom school connectedness can be there with a good teacher in a in-person school way harder in uh, in zoom school and so we have all of that working against us as well on top of the actual problems with the platform itself yeah and i think one of the things i noticed was it was very very core subject led um i think you know when they stripped away everything that needed to be done and those yet again those are the things that came flying through yeah I had one child say, um, "This is this is everything I hate about school and nothing I like about it." <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. Um, what what I what I did enjoy watching though was the kind of the way that um that I saw our children adapt. Um, I mean, I'm not a massive kind of social media fan for our kids and the amount of time and all of that kind of thing, but. What was amazing was the fact that they did have a bit of a, their own personal class setting because they had, you know, there were sort of three or four people that were hanging out during the day, working together and collaborating and sort of finding their best way to go. And I thought, actually, that seemed to work quite well because they still had that connectivity, albeit online, but in a slightly more social way, which they would have, obviously, if they were sort of hanging around school as well as being in the class. And I thought, thank goodness, in some ways, that some of those things were actually um, a positive for a change. Yeah, for sure. And and where the school and the teacher and the district are able to support putting those things in place, um, that that's, has been incredibly supportive to some parents uh, just to have a place where, where a child can go and hang out with their peers and not even necessarily be taught during that time, but just to, to spend time working together on and focusing on something. Um, and, and where, where districts have been able to put those things in place, 
uh, for children who want them and need them and use them, that's awesome. Uh, it, but it definitely hasn't been the case that they are available to everybody who needs them. And there definitely has been a lot of structure that some children are, are struggling with as well. Yeah. And I think also one of the things that we noticed was the fact that let's just do what we can do, you know, as a family, especially in lockdown, you know, we were very insular because you could literally go out for your hours exercise or one of us was able to go shopping, you know, or whatever it happened to be. So once we were able to to get out and the restrictions released a little bit, you know, we found that we had a bit more time and a bit more connectivity within the family unit, which was really nice, you know. So, for example, a couple of mornings preschool, I was going out playing tennis with my daughter and um, we got a table tennis table that just enabled us just to have a bit of um, time out and to do those sorts of things, which actually we wouldn't normally have had. So we tried to really sort of put a spin on the positive sides of things, albeit in a very strange situation. <laughs> yeah and and I, what i see in the parenting forums is there's sort of a split between parents who have really been able to do that and and are almost looking at how life used to be and how life might be again and thinking wait why were we doing that absolutely <laughs> because this thing this slowed down version of life is actually really kind of cool and then there are other parents often who are still having to work outside the home. I mean, often teachers, frankly, right, who who need to be either in classes or online for many hours a day who don't have childcare support for themselves um, or other parents who are working in professions where you have to work outside and childcare is closed and who are just feeling run ragged and as though these things, this cannot continue for very much longer. So I, I'm and of course there are people in the middle as well who are sort of trying to make the best of it and and are feeling tripped up and and uh like things keep popping up there keep being more things and we we think we're going back and then oh no we're not <laughs> we think things are opening up oh no they're not um and and so there's there's definitely that kind of struggle in the middle as well yeah and i think certainly in the uk here because we kind of all went back on mass you know september's mm -hmm. arrived right we're back to school um <laughs> that kind of that kind of gear shift i mean it's usually bad enough having had sort of six or seven weeks off getting you know back into the school journey but with the added pressure of kind of everyone apparently is now massively behind in their learning which i just find unbelievable bearing in mind we've been through a, or going through a global pandemic and we are where we are that just is it is a baseline um but that kind of sense of sort of catching up um but also the sense of having had that like say laid back kind of feel within life to some extent the kind of is the club started coming back as well as the school and more work and this and that it really was that kind of you can't quite realized well I think I did know before but I really know now just how busy and chaotic life can be mm -hmm. yeah and that whole notion of being behind I mean in learning <laughs> it, it just it, it it makes me I don't know um sad i guess that that our ch something as important and profound as our children's learning is reduced to their performance on a standardized test that can be compared with children who are tested in other countries. And if they're not testing at a certain level, then they are behind in some way when actually what your child learned from playing tennis with you and deepening their connection with you in that time, even though it cannot be tested uh, or necessarily even measured is probably so much more profound than, and, and, you know, everything else that was going on in your family as well, not just that by itself, but the, the whole way that you approached that 
um, that period of time with them probably taught them so much about how they want to be in the world. How, how do I want to experience this life? What is really important to me? Um, but because they weren't focusing on <laughs> writing standards and doing certain problems in math, they are now I'm doing heavy air quotes behind. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think I think the experience part was the important thing there. And, and I think how they felt, I think, was that. And I think we had lots of those conversations about all of the things we've been talking about so far. And I think understanding how you feel and they feel about this and 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 pulling all of that together has been it's been really interesting and um and i hope they well, certainly from our, our family's point of view see it as a is a positive and um and also then can put things in place very much more as we get back into whatever this new normal is or how it's going to change because i think to have that self-awareness of actually i'm not going to sweat this stuff i'm not going to buy into this i mean i have to well they have to be in school at the moment in as much as that's that's where their life is heading um even though there may be some parents who decided to do it differently but how they take that experience and how they engage in it and and what they're prepared to, to sacrifice for that i think really changes and and i think that's probably been the biggest learning curve for them mm-hmm. yeah for sure so let's talk about the fact that like you say, you're in that position of in school, out of school. We're in school at the moment, but I suspect that maybe that won't be quite as straightforward or as as it is at the moment as we start to get further into winter and even into the new year. So tell us what pandemic pods are. Tell us what that version is. Tell us what it is that we can do to, to help ourselves should um, we end up in, in, in a chaotic situation where we just don't know what to do, but we want to do something. Yeah, it, it was so interesting to watch that that whole thing happen. It, pandemic pods kind of exploded onto the consciousness uh, of parents here in the US. I think it was in late August, and it happened in the Bay Area, the San Francisco Bay Area. I think first where I was where I was living at the time, um, and then sort of by coastal, and then filled in from there. And it's basically the idea that we're going to uh, take a small group of children who are going to be learning together in some form. Format, and I'll talk about the different formats um, in an environment that isn't in their school uh, with a view to limiting our COVID exposure uh, by uh, not having the children in, in contact with as many people at one time. And so we've seen a variety of arrangements from uh, it being something that's very much parent driven. We could rotate the parents through or we could have one parent responsible for the whole thing. Uh, we could hire a, a college student who isn't in college because college is closed or a recent graduate or a grandparent or even a teacher or a tutor to help the children to fulfill all of the requirements that they would be doing in school and a completely school set curriculum. Or um, there is sort of this, in some districts, it's possible to kind of send the school an email and say, you know, our, our family's really overwhelmed right now and uh, we're here, but we're not able to engage in online learning at the moment. It's not possible everywhere, but it is possible some places. Um, and, and to be able to kind of take back a little bit of control over what the child children are doing all the way through to potentially just saying, you know what, we're going we're gonna to experiment right now with some interest-led learning. And, and really follow our children's interests um, in terms of what they are, what they want to learn, and learn all of the other subjects through our children's interest. 
so that's kind of the basic formation. And there, there has certainly been a lot of talk about the equity issues in pandemic pods, which I think deserves, a, rightly deserves a lot of consideration um, because it does have the potential for white parents to continue the uh, privilege that a, a lot of them have by having more resources, pulling your child out, being able to hire a tutor. You come back in a year and it's like nothing happened. Whereas for people who don't have access to the same resources, the, the picture may be very different. Um, and so I actually set up a course to help parents form pandemic pods with social justice issues kind of baked in from the very beginning so that we're not just uh, ignoring those issues. We're also not kind of reserving one spot for a person who doesn't look like us to sprinkle a bit of diversity on the top. But we're really taking these issues that, I mean, if, if we're at a Black Lives Matter protest, if we're saying that Black Lives Matter to us, then we're taking these principles and, and saying, OK, we need to form our pod so that it is inclusive of all people and and potentially even goes beyond school as an equalizer in terms of um, giving giving all children the opportunity to succeed in learning and it sounds to me like it's a really it's a really good way of learning pandemic or not you know I mean child interest led <laughs> learning is is just like absolutely yeah. <laughs> Let, let's do you know why why not anyway um but I think I, I guess it kind of opens that door and, and the question to kind of you know do you think it is a way of of the education I don't I keep talking about the education system changing. I'm, I just think all yeah. that's much harder to do. But in terms of, yeah. of actually, if we're having to make different choices and 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 educate, stroke school, stroke help our children learn in a different way. Once we realise that it's possible and it works and it can be very creative and something which is very supportive for our children, do you see that sort of becoming a way that more and more people will adopt? Because I guess the the processes in that system will be in place because we would have been doing it because we would have had to have been. Well, uh, you're, you're talking about my hopes and dreams now. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I hope that we can, we can make some shifts coming out of this. I mean, my, my personal opinion is that we're kind of in this liminal space right now as a, as a society, um, where, we're in a transition period. There's a lot in, in flux and it feels very uncomfortable. And our instinct is to go back to the thing that we know. Like, how can we how can we make everything like it was before? Because, I mean, yeah, there were a lot of parts of it that kind of sucked. We were all running around ragged and um, we felt as though there was never enough time to do anything. But at least I felt there's some semblance of control. So, so we could go back to the way things were. Or we could imagine a different system that uh, is that takes our needs as people into account, that takes our children's needs related to their learning and our needs as parents and, and meets those needs rather than us having to uh, meet the needs of an inflexible system. And in my, my opinion, the distance between those two scenarios is smaller now than it ever has been before. And the effort that it would take to go to a different and better system is compared to where we are now is smaller than it has ever been before. But it relies on us seeing a different way. And, and my sincere hope is that pandemic pods and structures like it, you know, some of them will fail, some of them will go up in flames, some of them will be amazing successes. And maybe as a society, we can say, okay, that that wasn't good, we don't want to repeat that. But this part was 
worked really well and let's adjust it in this way and it'll work better for these children too and and that we could reimagine what learning could look like so that it isn't this inflex everybody has to adhere to so yeah it's a little bit like it's a little bit like greenhouse gases and the environment and and the fact that the one thing we've always wanted to do is to kind of clean up the atmosphere but we can't do it overnight because there's just the world is what it is and then overnight the world changed and we really did do that and we experienced that and I I guess it's that kind of if enough people realize that we can do it we can change it and the whole education system idea if enough parents decide that actually what we really want to do is we want our education system to be better and we know how we can do it that's the biggest thing and they can do it in their own way and get support in their own way then it's really the volume of people that maybe start to steer that direction in that in, in that kind of way. Yeah, I think you're onto something. Um, I think the greenhouse gases, I think what I read was that our uh, production decreased by, was it 7 to 10% or something? So somehow just stopping the world didn't necessarily <laughs> make it make it drop as much as we might have hoped. But but yes, the, I think the analogy still holds that uh, we, we always thought that we couldn't change. And now we have been forced to change. And we get to either go back or choose something different um I, I think the real issue is that we we are so primed to need safety to to feel like oh yeah i know what that is i i know what school is um i i can organize my life around school um i've done that before it feels familiar it feels safe even though it didn't necessarily work very well for my family um and i i think that if we the, the real danger is if we don't engage in some kind of reflection uh, some kind of conversation about what it is that we want, um, then we will gravitate and to w- back towards what we had. Because in in a way, it's all almost already happening with uh, things opening up piecemeal here and there. And and when that happens, it's just sort of oh yeah, schools schools open here. Okay, when is it going to be open there? Okay, yeah, schools open everywhere. Oh, we're back in school. School school is school still. <laughs> um, whereas if we take some time and reflect on what what could learning look like, um, you know, I I work a lot with parents who want to support their child's intrinsic love of learning and who are kind of their kids are in school and they find themselves in this weird um uh, place where school is kind of teaching them one thing about grades and achievement and gold stars and all the rest of it and the parents like but wait i want my kid to love learning for the sake of learning not because they got a gold star or an a um and so what if those two things could just work together and and intrinsically support a child's love of learning and um that that world is possible and and i my belief and my hope is that things like pandemic pods and and structures like it can give us examples that we need to point to and say yeah i want more of that um so that we're not just trying to imagine this theoretical thing but this this practical thing that actually happened and and then we can then we can actually take steps to make that happen in in real life for for many more children yeah and i think that really is the key factor because i've had a few conversations about this you know we're hoping that somebody somewhere will see the change and think fantastic let's go with this except we know that 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 isn't the case you know it does it's that sort of ground up kind of thing which often makes the difference and i think 
like you said, you know, the experience of what a pandemic pod looks like, how it works, the way these things are, being able to say, look, we've already got it in some form or another, let's run with this, mm-hmm. um, is is the way that that can change. And I, and I think that's the key factor, rather than just the talking about it, is the fact we've got some of that practical yeah. experience, even if it's in its infancy, or even if it morphs in some way, there is a structure there. Absolutely, yeah. Let's think about what this year is going to look like, because we don't know i guess that's the one thing we do know is that we don't know um so so what what would you say the priorities should be i mean we talked about the fact of this idea of being behind and all of that you know but what should we be focusing on in terms of what we can get out of of life during this time and and, and how we can support our children to do that yeah the most important things that i see our children coming out of this period with is a sense of connection with people around them who love them and a sense of safety. And uh, for some children, this is easier than others. Um, there, there are children, obviously, who are in very difficult circumstances where the family that they're living in is not the place that they find connection and not the place that they find safety. And that we need to have uh, structures in place to support those children. Um, that could be through school, that can be through other organizations, but to make sure that they also feel feel the benefits of this. Um, for, for those of us who are in relatively privileged positions, who have a home over our heads, who um, are able to support our children financially um, and, and sort of we have our basic needs taken care of, uh, it, it is so tempting to think, oh, well, my child's going to get behind. How are they ever going to make it up? You know, there, there's so much competition in, in the world for elite university places and for elite jobs. And um, if I if I if they fall behind now, how are they ever going to make it up when actually the thing that our children need more than ever right now is a sense of connection with us and is a sense that we are their safe space um, that that even when the world seems like it's in turmoil and, and the reality is the world was always changing before. Um, <laughs> that there's the, the one constant, isn't it? Even, even though it seems as though it's changing now more than ever. Um, it, it was always changing. There were always things in each of our lives that we would think, Oh, if I can just get through this next thing, everything will be good. And then something else pops up and something else pops up. And, um, but if, if we can kind of see, see life for what it is and that it is a thing that constantly changes and kind of accept that, I guess, and get comfortable with that and, and just say, yeah, this, this is what it is now. And, and in a, in a way it's hard and, uh, there are aspects of this that suck and there are aspects of this that also are kind of cool. And, uh, and to to really kind of just be in it to to just experience it for what it is and to help our children to learn how to do that too um and and to not be always kind of grasping at this this elusive sense of oh well if i have a sense of control then everything will be better when when this thing happens everything will be better um but instead to help our children to learn how to just be here to not always do but to just be and have that be okay um, and and to find a real sense of safety there and and to know that that we are there for them no matter what happens I mean to me that's that's the most profound thing that can come out of this particular period of time yeah I love that and I think I think connection is such a perfect word um, in, in this scenario because 
it's what it should be anyway it's the most important thing about your connection obviously with your family but your connection with yourself and your connection with the world around you in whichever form that takes and I think understanding that then gives you the safety that you need because you know inherently that it's okay because that's how the world works at its most basic level mm-hmm. um, and then you start to realize that education whatever that looks like you know in school pandemic pods or whatever is a tool it's it's a it's a joyous thing to be curious about and to learn to enhance your version of the world going forward or your your child's um, version of the world going forward and I think that then suddenly feels like there's a weight taken off and takes the pressure off because I certainly know I've learned a lot more since I've left school than I probably did while I was there um, and, and when you kind of feel like that's possible then you think oh okay then um, very difficult when you're going through it I know and it, it seems very um, simple and just all chatting in that way but I think that sense of like you say being in the now being connected to everybody and everything and most importantly yourself mm-hmm. and knowing that and then going forward um, I think that will change the world for everyone individually and I think it will change the world externally in terms of the society that we live in so yeah. what a great way to finish this conversation <laughs> and, and <laughs> kind of hopefully have a bit of a positive slant on the whole thing yeah for sure so Jen thanks so much for, for sharing your time and your insights and, and your wisdom on, on all of this and um, and like I say I know you've got some stuff on your website about it so please um, direct people to where they can find out much more. Yeah so I have a podcast uh, as well it's called Your Parenting Mojo and uh, through that I also have a couple of memberships uh, one is, is called Finding Your Parenting Mojo and that really helps parents to bring about uh, shifts in their family life towards um, a, a more connected and uh, cooperative <laughs> environment uh, when it when it feels as though everything just is getting on top of you on the parenting side. And then I also have a membership called Your Child's Learning Mojo, which really is a, together they form the complete support package for for your child. So on on the learning side, we're looking at an intrinsic love of learning. You know, how do we support that either in a homeschool environment or in an environment where they're in school and you want to supplement on evenings and weekends and um, how, how do we really understand how children learn and and nurture that without being what we think of as kind of the sage on the stage? You know, how do I teach them everything they need to know, but instead transition to being the guide on the side who connects them to resources and, and really helps them to take the lead in their own learning so they will love to learn for the sake of learning? Um, and then, of course, the Pandemic Pods uh, course and a, a variety of other stuff as well. But you can find all that stuff at yourparentingmojo.com fantastic well thank you so much for joining me thanks um so much for everything that you're doing because i think it's so important and i think these conversations are important but i think people like yourself who are then going that extra mile to create the podcast to create the courses which are then able to help so many people directly is incredible so um best of luck with the rest of your quarantine and i hope your the time you manage to get with your family is everything that you want to from there on in thank you so much it was great to talk with you again mark Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire. I'd like to thank the National Association for Primary Education for their continued support and sponsorship of this show. NAEP are currently supporting teachers by producing fortnightly videos which cover themes like art, school trips and literacy. 
Also, they are giving away e-copies of their professionally produced journal, Primary First. To find out more about the association, please go to nape.org.uk. That's n-a-p-e dot org dot uk.